Four-time NBA champion, three of those with the Chicago Bulls joining us here in the Freak Nation, Will Purdue. And let's get into a little bit of the last dance. I think I would rather have LeBradford Smith as my point man. That poor guy in the last dance just got the bejesus figuratively kicked out of him. Yeah, but he was in a long line of guys <laughs> that provided motivation for a man that, quite honestly, didn't need it. You know, you heard B.J. Armstrong also talk about in the last dance about we all have those moments, right, when we're in our playing career that something happens and we get emotionally involved and you say things or do things. And not that they're bad things, but you say things and do things that you pay for later. And like B.J.'s case, you pay for later, meaning Michael was like, I had, I, it was my duty to, to basically destroy him from that point forward. It was just one of those moments. I remember, because I knew some of the, the guys on the team, but Bradford was begging, basically begging the media, please don't make a big deal out of this. Please just say, hey, I had a great game. It was one of those nights I couldn't miss. You know, it, I'll always remember this because it was against Michael Jordan. But, you know, let's not make a big deal out of this because he knew what was coming. He knew it. I just remember the next night just looking at him and being, dude, I feel sorry for you, man. Because we all know what's coming. He dropped 37 in that game. We play him the next night, second night of a home-and-home. Home. He knew what was coming. And it wasn't like he just rolled over. He tried. He tried. But it just like a snowball rolling downhill, man. You're better off getting out of the way. <laughs> Will Purdue, you talk about saying things that you may regret later or actions that you may regret later. Any Anybody, any athlete, anybody who's listening right now. But – some people want to do that with Michael Jordan. I mean, you freaking were punched by Michael Jordan. Steve Kerr got in a fight with Michael Jordan. And we as fans can write this off as just being uber, uber competitive. But I also kind of think of, wait a minute, is this kind of like Bobby Knight? I mean, I am an Indiana Hoosier. Obviously, I supported Bobby Knight through thick and thin. But I look back at some of these things and think, whoa, that crossed the line. Do you ever do that with MJ? I mean, I talked about, you know, in the last episode, I called him an a-hole and said yeah. that he crossed the line many times, but, and his style was abrasive. Now I, I actually, I have a, I have a great antidote and let's make sure that we understand this, this is made in jest. So let's not chop this up and play the whole thing. <laughs> but I was thinking last night and I was talking to my wife about it. I was watching a few good men. It was on the BBC last night. You know, you sit down, I'm going to watch TV for a little while. It was on BBC America. I actually have it in DVD, but it's just, you know, you're perusing and you're like, ah, this, this court scene is awesome. And all of a sudden, like halfway through Colonel Jessup's speech, I was like, that's MJ. Listen here, you little snotty bastard. <laughs> you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. We have words like code, honor. And I'm like, that's MJ. How about that? That's pretty cool. And my wife just started dying laughing. So trying to work on a little uh, thing to somehow use that, but then put put some words in his mouth instead of saying certain things, use championships and things like that. So I thought that was kind of thought that was kind of funny. But at the end of the day, that was something that quite on I mean, I thought about it afterwards. And Kendall Gill, who I work with in Chicago for NBC Sports Chicago. He had a conversation about with me. It's like, did it have to be that way? Did he have to act like that? It obviously had happened more than one time, but why does everybody say that's okay? 
Well, we're not necessarily saying it's okay, but we're saying is that was just the atmosphere that we played in, or should we say played under because of Michael. His style was very abrasive. How that came about for him, honestly, I can't tell you. Because if you want to say, well, that's how he was taught. That's, how, that's what he got from his father. You're like, well, I don't think so. His father was one of the nicest men you'll ever meet. His father was somebody that was friends with all the guys on the team. Some of us were actually had more conversations <laughs> with his father than we had with Michael. But it was just something that you, listen, you, didn't, you knew that wasn't normal. But that's just something that you accepted because, as I try to explain to guys that haven't won championships, you knew something was different about that team. You knew because of that guy that we realistically had a chance to win a championship every year. So those that haven't been in that position can't sit there and say, well, why did it have to be like that? Well, the reason the answer is I can't sit here and give you a definitive answer. But the reason why was because it was Michael Jordan. Now, I make the comparison because Kendall Gill always would ask me, well, was it like that in San Antonio? I said, well, no, it wasn't. But we didn't have a guy like Michael Jordan in San Antonio. We had really, really good players, top 50 player in David Robinson, you know, best power forward of all time in Tim Duncan. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't their personality. Their personality was different. But we also had a different culture, a more family-style culture than we had in Chicago. Chicago was more business-like. But because the guy at the top, and that guy at the top was Michael Jordan, and his style was the way as everybody, I think they've done a pretty nice job of, of portraying that accurately. That's just kind of what we were accustomed to, what we were used to. And that's just the way it was. I can sit here and say, well, do I wish it would have been different? No, because I learned a lot. I gained a lot. If I wasn't playing on that team and I wasn't winning those championships because of Michael Jordan, would I be sitting here talking to you, to you guys right now? No, I'd probably be listening to you guys driving down the road and be like, what a bunch of jack-offs. <laughs> you know, okay, so that, that brings me nicely to what I really wanted to ask you. It, it was MJ crying at the end of, I think it was episode seven. To me, it seemed like, Getting all of this off his chest, he was just tired of feeling the need to have to have to explain himself so much. Is that how you look at it as well, or why do you think he got emotional? Well, first of all, let me go back and say, you know, please don't take that comment personally. I I said it with you know loving tones because <laughs> I actually love doing your show every week. I look forward to it. I mean, <laughs> I actually reach out to Stan. And if Stan's listening, make sure he sends me this because then, because my wife can't hear the other end. She can only hear my end. And sometimes she'll be like, what kind of questions are they asking with some of those answers you're giving? And then when I play, then when she listens to it, she's like, in, in context, she goes, yeah, I, she goes, they're pretty cool. She goes, you really like doing those interviews, don't you? I said, yeah, because I enjoy it. So back to your question. First of all, let's talk about that actual where he's lying on the floor sobbing everybody talks about how they've seen that but nobody has ever heard the audio about just how hard he was crying this wasn't weeping this was bawling he was gasping for air because of the fact that that was the first championship he won and his father wasn't there to celebrate with him mm -hmm. but i just think that people have always thought 
that Michael was such a hard ass that, and even we didn't see a lot of it because I was talking about there's two different, to me, there's two different Michael Jordans. There's Michael Jordan, the person, and there's Michael Jordan, the player. And the player is Michael Jordan, the competitor. And that's the guy that we saw 99% of the time on the floor and off the floor. But at the same time, he always put on a good face with us about he was jovial. He was always joking around. He was hardly ever in a bad mood off the floor. Um, you know, he would talk to us. It wasn't like I, I, and I, was, I always tell people, it wasn't like I had a great relationship with him, but I thought I had a solid relationship with him. It was more, you know, basketball related than personal, but that's just how it was. But I just think that people don't realize, and because he was so good, and because it's Michael Jordan, and because he was in Space Jam, and because he, we all wanted to be like Mike and Gatorade and Nike, it's the shoes, Mike, it's the shoes. I just don't think people see him as a human being. They don't see him as normal. It's almost like just some people look at him as an alien. So when they, sit, when they sit there and they see him cry like anybody else, they're like, holy cow. This guy is, to a certain degree, it's just like us. He's got emotions. You know, he does cry. He does let his guard down. He actually is vulnerable, all, even though to this day he won't let you know it. <laughs> Until now. But that's just who he was, what he was, and that was the approach he, he chose to take. And as you saw, and, I, and like you said, crashing seven or eight, when he just, you know, he started to get emotional trying to defend himself, and he stood up and he goes, cut. The interesting thing was, if you talk to Jason Hare, Hare the producer-director, he talks about that happened in the first interview, because remember, they spread his interviews out over three different uh, time frames, three different times. He said that happened in the first interview in the first 45 minutes. Oh. Wow. Do you think he's just, he is tired of having, feeling the need to explain himself or is it just a relief to explain himself to the masses? Well, I think he wants people to truly understand who he is. He was the ultimate competitor. He, and let's also be clear he had final say on this whole thing before yeah. it was before we watch it. He either said yay or nay. Right. So he saw the part where, you know, I called him an a-hole and said he crossed the line and he didn't look at him and say, no, you can't play that. He wanted people to understand and try to be as truthful as possible, try to be as accurate as possible to say, hey, you may not like me as a person, but I'm trying to help you understand what it's like to be me, what it's like to be LeBron or anybody else to be Kobe. The thing I never really tried to do, and this is Michael speaking, was to make you like me as a person. Hmm. And I think that's the difference now than compared to back then. And I think a lot of that has to do with social media because of, listen, Michael didn't step out to develop, a, to be a brand. He became a brand, not because he wanted to, but because he was so good. I mean, if you want to blame anybody for it, blame his mother. His mother forced him to take the Nike meeting. <laughs> you know, he wanted to wear Adidas. But it's just, I just don't think people understand how difficult it was to be Michael the, the person. Because it just, you know, I, I think I mentioned it last week and I'll mention it again this week. I think it was after episodes five and six. Or one of the two where they shows him in the hotel just right. sitting on his couch looking at the camera going, 
you don't want to, you, you shouldn't be envious, envious of this life. Cause what he wanted to say was this sucks. I got to sit in, I got to sit in a hotel all day waiting to play. My teammates, they're out in New York city enjoying themselves. Yeah. They're being bothered. But at the same time, not to the extent that Michael is, you know, and he just, it, it just, it, it's almost impossible, I think, for people to grasp just how difficult it was to be him off the floor. Four-time NBA champion, three of those with the Chicago Bulls joining us here in the Freak Nation, Will Purdue and Oscar Robinson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Michael Jordan, LeBron James. I know all these cats played in different eras. But one thing that fascinates me about watching The Last Dance is it brings up the conversation who was or is the best basketball player of all time. You being a study of the game, do any of those, do Oscar Robinson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, or somebody else compete with those other two players in your mind to be the best NBA player of all time? I'm going to answer it this way. I think they're in the same conversation. Hmm. But unfortunately, when it's all said and done, they don't win the conversation. And this is, do I think Oscar Robinson was a great player? Absolutely. To average a triple-double, I don't care in what era. But you just, you have to agree with the fact that as, after, as each era goes along, the players get bigger, faster, stronger. They're, be- they're just, they're, let me also say that they're not necessarily better basketball players from a basketball skill set, but they're just better athletes, which then in turn makes them better overall players. All right. I still think that Oscar Robinson could play in the nineties. I still think he could play now. He just may not have such eye popping numbers. Let's be honest with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He had, a shot that was you could not defend it it was undefendable the sky hook from six feet 12 feet i mean he was taking sky hooks from the free throw line within their offense you just you couldn't stop it he had to be double teamed your your best defense was just denying him the basketball but then when you want to talk about the whole body of work he was a really good defender all right he uh, was an excellent rebounder. He did a lot of things really, really, really well. But back then, it was a post-oriented game. You know, it's interesting if you go back and you and you see some of the interviews of being of big men being asked about Michael Jordan. You know, can you build a team around a two guard? And they all said no. It's, that's not the, how the league is built. But yet. That's how good he was to change how the league was played. And then eventually the league changed even more with LeBron and Steph Curry. That's just progression. But the one thing that Michael has that I'm not sure other guys have, and I know you hear the term all the time, win at all costs. I can guarantee you that Michael has that trait. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And that's, that's even different than He's a killer, a killer trait. There's those two things are different. Win at all costs and killer trait are still different. Win at all costs is above killer. And I, I kind of I say this in jest, but it's you know the old saying is if Michael had to run over his mother with the bus to win a championship, he'd do it. 
And just to guarantee that he'd win a championship after he ran over, he put it in reverse and back over just to guarantee he'd win a championship. Will Purdue, four-time NBA champion, three of those with the Chicago Bulls with mad insight.